Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Are you ready to get down with some D&D? I know I am. I am joined, as I am always joined, by the misty, miraculous, and merry, possibly mirthful, Mad Wizard Merwin. What is up, Sean? Due to the power of time travel podcasting, Happy New Year, everyone, even though it's not quite New Year yet when we're recording. Yeah, right? And Merry Christmas. I don't even know if we said that last time. Hey, or Happy Holidays, Happy Holidays or whatever. Happy Kwanzaa. Yeah. Christmas Kwanzaa Hanukkah? Yes. Kwanzaa. Yeah. Kwanzaa. I what? I mean, if we're being insensitive, I apologize. Um, I just, you know, there you go. As That's opposed the... <laughs> to how we normally are, uh, we're, we're usually not. We're usually pretty good about all this stuff, right? Like, so there's your thirty seconds of ridiculousness from us. There you go. Enjoy. <laughs> we're gonna talk. Yeah, we're gonna talk about the sidekicks article today. Mm-hmm. But before we get into the sidekicks article, we have uh, the normal newsy type announcement things that we go through. First off, the streets of Avalon. That is the Kickstarter that we are currently running for the, the, the Mega City Sourcebook for the fifth edition of the world's most popular role-playing game. That's right, Dungeons & Dragons. We're doing rather well, Sean. We are. Uh, I'm very happy with how it's going, and I think it is going to be a great product, and as the stretch goals fall, it, will, it gets greater and greater. We've already got two new classes, or arc, yes, archetypes. The, no, I think they're classes. They're okay. gonna be, um, I mean, they'll be based on those those things, but there's going to be some, some changes to them. I'm going to scroll up some alternate classes. I've already... Okay done some of the work on them it's going to be a lot of work but that's fine okay well then i will have even more to edit yeah and yell at me about be like chris you can't do that i'm like but but and i'll be like okay sean whatever you say that's right just um, just the opposite of this podcast which is me going yeah. okay chris whatever you say <laughs> see that's the delineation of work right exactly that's, that's how this work mm-hmm. there, there's like a there's like a hierarchy depending on where we're at it is very true but uh, there's a there's an adventure. There's an urban barbarian. There's a uh, the firearms of Avalon mm-hmm. as stretch goals. These are all PDFs that you get if you jump in. Even if you jump in at the ten dollar PDF level, like that's just extra stuff that we're going to sell later that you get now. And if you didn't know, the ten dollar PDF is way underpriced. It will not be that cheap later. Yep. So you know, this is the best time to get in on this game uh, setting uh, supplement, uh, whatever we call them <laughs> these days. The big thing. Sure, the big thing. All right, so that is uh, that is the streets of, Av- streets of Avalon. We hope that you back it and, and, and join us on this journey. Just in case you're not sure what we're talking about, go to Kickstarter and either put in the streets of Avalon or encoded designs, and you will find it. And it will be going for another couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Or you can just click on the link in our show notes. This is true too. So let's talk about this article using abstract maps by Mike Shea. Yes. I thought it was great, and this is how I use abstract maps fairly often. But then again, I played a lot of the games that he mentions here that use abstract maps. Yes. Um, before we, we were talking about Mike Shea, Mr. Sly Flourish himself, and the articles that he's been putting up on D&D Beyond about running theater of the mind versus grid-based, and the article we're talking about now is abstract mapping. So it is kind of a hybrid of theater of the mind and uh and more grid-based. And he talks about, you know, why you might want to take a step back from tactical, why you might need something more for your theater of the mind than just theater of the mind, why you might need an abstract map. And then he does a great job of kind of breaking down 
um, the various points that are covered in an abstract map, like distances, um, zones, and, and so on. And so this is something that we are going to talk about, hopefully with Mike, on a show in the, in the near future. Um, but to get yourself ready for that show, you might want to go check out the article. Absolutely. Uh, and way to explain what I was talking about earlier, Sean. I love when, when we do that, when I say something that makes no sense probably to anybody, and then you explain everything that I just m- mentioned. Well, I'm I'm slow, so I just come from a place of slowness and realize what other slow people will probably need to hear to, to catch up. I, I think it's more considerate than slow. Well, you know, potato, potato. Sure, sure. Uh, it's a great article. You should all read it, I think. Mm-hmm. I, I I would highly recommend it. Yep. Next one is How to Tell a Story in Waterdeep, The Dungeon of the Mad Mage. This one's by James Hake. And it's it's great. This is um this is the kind of reasons that I love running dungeon crawls, because these are the kind of things that I do in dungeon crawls. And the idea is like you have a dungeon to, to try to take a, a page out of Sean's book and explain what this article is actually about. You have a dungeon, but that dungeon probably doesn't necessarily have a story to it sometimes. That that happens a lot in adventure writing. Mm-hmm. Or they have like little snippets of information here and there. And it's on the the dungeon master to make a story out of that. Right. And it makes dungeons more compelling, in my opinion. I think that those are the better ways to put together dungeons. Sure. And the the one more uh, problem that sometimes happens with dungeons and stories is the dungeon has a great backstory, but no forward-moving story that the characters can interact with. Yeah, or that backstory never becomes comes to the forefront, because what's the point of a backstory that never actually makes it to the table? Yep. So James talks about the... Forge of Fury, uh, which was a fourth, third edition uh, adventure that was updated to fifth edition. And he talked about running it himself and how his players were really getting into it as they approached the, the dungeon and they had heard, learned some of the history of the dungeon. But when they got down into the dungeon, it was more some set piece battles and some smaller plot points, but no long term large um, compelling plot that they could uncover as they went. It was, you know, this area is controlled by these creatures, and once you wipe them out, there's nothing else to do. So you move on to the next section. So, you know, he he talked about that problem and how you could solve that problem using uh, Dungeon of the Mad Mage. So he focused a lot on Halister, Halister's motivations, as well as giving the the dungeon itself, as giving Undermountain itself, uh, a life of its own and a motive of its own that the players can uncover and then foil. Yes, and it's a really um it's really good and it's funny because it's the same similar a similar motive to what I sort of used for uh for some of the dungeons that I've created. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh it, the story is really good though. It's very uh, he mentions this at the end of the article. Like um his idea is like is that 2JRPG for everybody out there? I'm like no, it's perfect for this. <laughs> the so what does uh, what does I, JRPG mean? Uh, Japanese role play. Okay, game. there you go. So your final your Final Fantasies of the world, basically. Gotcha. And and the um there's always a there's always a thing. The trope is so in James's version of the the Dungeon of the Mad Mage, Halaster is the most powerful denizen of Undermountain, but he's also a pawn of the magical knot in the weave that is actually sentient and controlling him. We're trying to control them, I should say, right. right? Right. Yes. So that is the trope. Like, like there's like a an overt big bad, 
in JRPGs, mm. and then you find out that there's something behind it that's even worse. Gotcha. That's that's the JRPG trope. It's funny. Cool. So that's why I laughed at it yeah. when I when I read that. Uh, all right, uh, it's a great article. You should go read it. It's got a ton of tips in there. It's probably something we should talk about in the future. I don't know if we have. I think we might have tried to at times. Maybe not. I don't. We talked about dungeon crawls and how to make them interesting. Yeah, we have done that. Yep. Um, four, and our last one for, before we get to our main topic. Original Adventures Reincarnated, The Isle of Dread, a review by Jared Rasher, the Knight Errant, on his blog. Mm-hmm. Sean, you want to take this one? I will, Start t- with it? I will take this one. So Jared writes a lot of great stuff on his blog, and usually you know, two or three times a year we point something out, and we wanted to take the time to point this one out because I particularly found this interesting. As I have done similar work in the past of taking old adventures and updating them for a new edition. And it is a very problematic enterprise in a lot of different ways. And Jared points out a couple of them here. Um, so his this is a very detailed, a very thoughtful, and uh, a, quite an honest look at the Goodman Games 5e version of the Isle of Dread. So we've reported this in the past. Goodman Games has a an agreement with Wizards, I believe, to update some old adventures making uh the 5e a new 5e version as well as republishing the old adventures in the compilation. So cool, right? But Yeah, very cool. But uh there there are problems with this. And Jared brings up some great points about converting legacy material that is let's say insensitive to today's standards. Mm-hmm. Um and the mm-hmm. Isle of Dread is one of those that falls firmly into that camp. Because you get some um, very uh, well, you know, there's discussion of slavery, and not a, yes. not necessarily of slavery as a bad thing. Um, no, as the player characters enslaving the exactly. populace to exactly. do work for them. Exactly, like it is it assumes that that might be a thing that happens, right? And and you know, an insensitive portrayal of certain ethnic groups and certain areas of the world and so on and so on and so on. Um, and so, you know, part of the question is when you do a, an updated version of these adventures, do you leave that in? Do you change that? Do you leave it in, but put a sidebar in discussing it? You know, it's how, how do you handle that as the creator? Um, and so, you know, what Jared says in this is some of this stuff needed to be either removed, changed, or explicated in some way. I am of the opinion that you just fix all these things these days. Right. I don't think we need to have this stuff in its original form anymore. Right. Like, I, I mean, it's a reprint, so you can just update it. Yeah. It's, that's that's pretty much my feeling on the whole thing. And I think I think Goodman didn't do a very good job of that. Yeah, they kind of made some things worse. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And i i am a I am a fan of some of Goodman's work in the past. Goodman Games' work in the past. Um, when Fourth Edition started, I was asked to edit some content from Goodman Games for Fourth Edition, and you know what I noticed was in some of the materials, not much care was taken in making sure that the game content was actually fourth edition material it was kind of just whatever a mishmash of first and second and third edition you know 
game concepts or game rules were either ignored or gotten wrong. And it sounds like some of this is happening a little bit in, in these as well. You know, talking about when there's a rule for how surprise works and the adventure itself comes up with a new way for surprise to work without you know, without really making it, not saying, hey, this is a new rule, this is cool, try this. It's just, it assumes that that is the rule. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there needs to be more care taken to make the game correct. And so hopefully, as I think this is the second um, release that they've done, I think they did, the first one was the, uh, what do you call it, Into the Borderlands. Um, and then the second is the Isle of Dread. So hopefully as they move forward with these, they will take the time to make sure either, A, they get the people that know how to do this, or that the people that are doing it take the care, if they do know, take the care to make sure it's right. Yeah, I agree. I hope so. But um, if you want a really good template for how to review something especially reviewing something where you see problems um, look at Jared's review because it's it's really well done you know he takes the time to explain why he's saying what he's saying and you know with all the caveats that are involved in that it's true he's he's an excellent writer and he's an excellent reviewer mm -hmm. all right let's move on to our main topic which we're going to talk about the sidekicks uh, unearthed arcana article so this article gives you a straightforward way to play and level up a sidekick in Dungeons & Dragons. The rules presented here take a creature with a low CR and give it levels as you gain levels. So we'll have a link in the show notes so you can click on that or you can just go search it. And the rules are in specific for the warrior, the expert, and the spellcaster. Mm -hmm. So Sean, would you like to take it from there? Yeah. So you know this article, as Chris said, talks about having these sidekick sort of NPC player characters. Um, they say that it's something that a player who wants a sidekick can take and play, or they could share the burden of playing or let the DM play the character. Uh, but the the first thing they talked about was that the player, he or herself, would, would do that. So when you, as a player or a DM, want to do this, I think the first thing you need to do is ask yourself why. Why does the player or why do you as the DM want to allow the player to have one of these sidekicks? Um, is it because you want to make your... If, is it because the player wants to make their character stronger? Give them more power, more abilities? Um, I, think, I think that's a bad way to go for it myself. Right. Well, I mean, it's, I, it's not a way I choose to play, but... There are players out there who want a sidekick for this reason. And so that's why I'm saying if, if this is a reason, um, you know, because you get another set of actions because or sometimes it's because, hey, we don't have a cleric or any other healer in the party. Having this priest sidekick would be great to allow us to heal. So I, I love that reason. Right. Exactly. That's a great reason. And, but so so it's not all negative in terms of wanting more power or more abilities. Um, you know, for, whether it's for yourself to play or for the party as a whole, um, is that why they want this? Because with each of these questions, there could be alternate ways to get that without going through the uh, the process of creating one of these sidekicks. Um, that is one of the primary reasons why I think it's a bad idea to do it for that reason. Right. <laughs> um, is it because it 
because your character's story is richer in the game if you have the sidekick. Or the story itself is richer for having the sidekick. Exactly, exactly. Um, is it because the player or even you as the DM want this because it's fun role-playing? Um, you know, not necessarily a long-term story benefit, but just at the table while things are going on, there's more drama or more comedy because you have the sidekick character. This is the primary reason why why I let players have or introduce sidekicks slash NPCs slash hirelings yep. to the party. Yep. So, you know, all of those are valid reasons, and maybe there are more reasons that I'm not thinking of, but those were the three that came to mind. Um, so before you decide, yes, we're going to use these sidekick rules, ask yourself, why do we want them? Why do we need them? Are there way to... Are there ways to fill that desire uh, without messing with the quote-unquote balance of the game? I think we can agree that D&D is not balanced. No, um, no. There's, I mean, I, I, I am... I still don't understand why we're talking... I mean, I understand why we're talking about it, but I right. don't understand why the, the general conversation about why... about balance and stuff right. is a thing. Like, I mean... Here, the game part of it, yeah. the game part of it, still exists. I'm right. not going to say that. Like, I'm not talking about balance, like between character classes or between races. I'm talking about balance, as in the game is built with certain expectations, and when you vary wildly from those expectations, then it it's less easy to use the game as it is written or as it is expected to be run. Yeah, I do not think that the sidekicks throw off the balance, the the assumed balance of D&D, because I don't think there's an assumed balance or expectation for D&D anymore. I think it's gotten wildly out of what we used to think it should be. Except there are charts that show for six characters of a certain level about the right way to do a a, a combat. About yeah, sure, but I think the sidekick still just becomes one of those characters in those charts. But that's never said in this article. It doesn't well, say when you're figuring out how to do... Right. So if if that's the assumption, that should be stated. Yeah, that that is my assumption. I, I assume they're just another character, especially after reading through their stuff. They're essentially player characters. Exactly. So as long as when this is released in official form, as long as it says, oh, and by the way, DMs, when you're figuring out how strong your opponent should be, um, you know, your monsters, your encounters, just assume these are, are a character. Because, you know, you can say... You know, add one of these to your party. Yeah, it's not that big a deal. Add, you know, one for every character, then it becomes a big deal. No, I mean, adding one to the party becomes a big deal. Exactly, they're a whole other. They're a whole other character. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so that's that's why I'm, that's why I'm saying, you know, all these assumptions need to be thought about. You know, as a player, you might be like, oh, this is cool. I'm gonna I'm gonna get a sidekick and have this great powerful spellcaster to go along with my barbarian and buff me and heal me and all of these things. Um, but then you have to step back. You don't have to, but you should step back and say, okay, how is it going to change the game? Not just yes. what you, what your whim is at the moment. So, you know, so the reason I ask all these questions is because if you said yes to any of the above, th there might be better ways to meet those desires without bringing in a sidekick, right? Would it be better just to create a whole new character and let, let a player play that? You uh, then you don't even need the sidekick rules, right? That's true. Would it be better just to take a stat block, just a very simple stat block with a couple of attacks, a couple of special abilities, 
and let the player use that without having to go through the process of creating this whole new sidekick. Maybe that would fit your desires without having to go through this play testing process and all this stuff. If that, can I, if it does, great. Go ahead. Can I answer those two questions? You sure can. Okay, from from a design point of view, from what I think they were thinking, um, creating a full character based on the sidekick rules that I read is way more complicated than just the sidekick rules. So, um, and also less flexible in a lot of ways because the the player character classes are assumed to have certain races. The sidekick characters can be pretty much anything, which is neat in my opinion. Yes. Um, so one, uh, it's less complicated than a full player character and more flexible, which I think is neat. Mm-hmm. And then the just taking a stat block with the necessary information plus a couple of special attacks and abilities, uh, that does not. That means that you will level out of your sidekick character your psychic character will eventually be useless because they will not grow with you now the the perfect example of this is uh well i mean it's a perfect example there's a and i'm gonna use pathfinder there's an adventure in pathfinder that um i think nick Logue wrote a while ago it's a first level adventure where you can find a a fox Mm -hmm. in the woods that's in a trap Mm -hmm. and if you use if you let it out of the trap and use your and you roll a certain animal handling check it starts following you around like an animal companion and it says right in there like it's cool to have this fox but by the time you're level three, it won't matter anymore. Sure. Like from from a from a point of view, actually, it could just be a hindrance because you know it'll just get killed right. instantly. Yeah. So that is a problem that you need to solve when you're designing these kinds of things. Right. And so my question then would be: Is there a way to update a stat block to make it flexible and to make it increase without going through all of these rules? Hmm. That's strange because I think that the sidekick class idea is the way to do that okay yeah and that's fine and and so i'm just asking questions now i'm not trying to answer them yeah yeah um, I, I mean I, that's why i'm I, I like that you're asking the questions and right. i will sit here and answer them because that's what i do yep <laughs> so again this this may this is play test material and you know for me as a as a dm i would rather use the fox example i would rather find a way to update the fox's stat block um, then go through basically a, a second character creation, uh, which this is, for for something that could be done more easily. Mm-hmm. But, but I have some. But that's just some me. thoughts later. Yeah. yeah, I have some thoughts later that are about like how complicated this should be and how long it should take you. You 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 are very correct. So let's yeah. let's move on to just some of the basics of gaining a sidekick class. So a sidekick mm-hmm. class can be given to any creature. That's normal CR is one or lower. So we're talking about animals. We're talking about um, like NPC sorts of things like a thug or a priest or you know, any of those. In order to gain the expert or the spellcasting class, though, a creature must have um, at least one language that they can speak. In other words, some sort of intelligence and ability to communicate. Um when you level up a sidekick, you know, I'm sorry, you level up a sidekick when you level up, regardless yep. of whether that sidekick participated in the adventure or not. So they have to stay within the same uh, realm as you. And they gain hit points um, when leveling based on their hit die in their stat block. So there are no hit dice associated with the warrior, the expert, or the spellcaster. They're just going to use their their main stat block's hit die. I'm pretty okay with that. Yep. And their proficiency bonus increases based on their gaining of levels in the sidekick class. Um, Their ability scores also increase 
with the leveling. So make sure if you use it, you're going to adjust your saving throws, attack bonuses, uh, damage as well. And they made a special note about multi-attack and extra attack. So some of these uh, give the extra attack class feature, which lets you take one extra attack when you take the attack action. And so they say if your sidekick has, already has the multi-attack action in the stat block, you don't get two multi-attacks, right? You just get that's silly. You just get one extra attack with this extra attack feature. I agree. Yeah. Like that, that would just be silly. Like, okay. So, so, so before we delve into each of each of them, did you have any general thoughts that you wanted to share about this whole concept? I do. I do. So, I this is. This is not for beginning groups. Like this is for groups that have been playing for a while. I think, I I think maybe you can introduce one after a few sessions if you wanted to to like if you want to have that kind of play experience like you talked about earlier, Sean. Like yeah. I want to have an NPC in the group that you know can talk and things like that. So like sidekick might be a good idea. And who doesn't love a a cute animal in their party? Right. Right. Yes. Um, if it's decided that the that the DM is going to play the sidekick. It can suffer from the the GMPC problem. Right. That's that that is a thing that can happen in a game, and you don't want that ever. Um, and you can avoid that by listening to the Mister Actor Mark episode of the GMPC, and don't run them like a jerk. So <laughs> there's a whole like hour and thirty minutes of t- us talking about how to not do that right. badly yep. and how to do it well. Yep. Just just to to throw out this term GMPC, we're talking about a game master player character. So the game master plays this as. Any player would play a player character, so they gain treasure, they level, they do everything like the player would, but the GM controls, the DM in this case, controls the character, and mm-hmm. so there can be problems with that, as Chris said, and they talked about they talked about it on the Misdirected Mark uh, podcast. Yeah, yep. and this sidekick character could, could do that, too. Yep. Um, let's see, what's next? Here's the other thing. If I can't put everything in a stat block... Since these should be able to be put in a stat block, since you can't have a psychic higher than CR1, then it's too complex. That again, caster stat blocks are often complex. Mm-hmm. This is very so, true. So that's a, that's a thing right there. Yep. Um, I, uh, I should be able to create my sidekick in five minutes or less. I agree. Especially if it's, like, if, if it's a low-level sidekick, mm-hmm. right? And if I have to upgrade my sidekick or update my sidekick, it should be ten minutes or less. Mm-hmm. That's that's if if I can't do those two things, then I think it's too compl- complicated. I I and, agree, and I also think that my sidekick's turn should take half the time my normal character's turn should take. Mm-hmm. And, and that's interesting because if you if you're playing like a, just a, a fighter, and you are running a sidekick who is a spellcaster, that's going to be hard to do. It's true. Um, fortunately, though, like. The spellcasters, I, I well, we'll talk about it later. I don't think they're nearly as complicated as I thought they were when I first looked at them. Like spellcasters, that's a terrible idea. And I looked at them like, uh, <laughs> yeah. it's not nearly yeah. as bad as I thought it was. Yeah, J- just just the nature of spellcasting, though, where you have to stop, look up the spell. Um, you know what? What's the range? What's the area of effect? What's the saving throw? Uh, is it strength, dexterity? Well, you know. All that stuff. Here, Sean, if you're going to play a spellcasting character, you should probably have spell cards or something something similar so that you're not actually wasting everybody's time constantly. It is true. It is true. Like, like uh, the wizard wouldn't be, like, standing there trying to figure out what spell he was going to cast for 12 minutes. Well, you should see some of the groups I've played with, Chris. Well, those people, 
need to play better. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> You're better. annoying the rest of us. Play better games, damn it. <laughs> or is it play games better, damn it? Play games. Yeah. Play better games, damn it. Okay. Um, I'm just like that is a pet peeve of mine about spellcasters. Like when I play a spellcaster, I almost always know what I'm going to cast, and I know what my spells do. Yep. So that I'm not wasting everyone's time, and I can actually put some cool, like you know, narrative surrounding it. Right. But you also have to be aware if you're a DM and you're thinking about these roles. Be aware of, hey, does your party take forever when they cast a spell? Because if you bring a uh, NPC spellcaster here, a sidekick along, it's it's going to be this, more of the same. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's just something to be aware of. Yeah, absolutely. So should we talk right, about each one? Yeah, let's let's do that. Let's start with the one that I think is the best one, which is the warrior. Cool. So a warrior sidekick grows in martial prowess as it fights by your side. It might be a soldier, a town guard, a battle-trained beast, or any other creature honed for combat. So if we look at the progression chart, um, the warrior gains something at every single level. Sometimes it's just another use of something it already has. But uh, I thought that was interesting to note because there are a lot of regular classes in the game that they really don't gain anything at every level. Um, in this case, the things that the uh, warrior gain include bonus proficiencies, um, second wind as per the fighter, a danger sensibility. So if it uh, if it sees something coming, it has, uh, I believe it's a advantage on dexterity saving throws. It also has improved critical as per the uh, archetype of the uh, fighter. So it crits on a 19 or 20. Then you get the regular ability score improvement, extra attack, battle readiness, which is getting advantage on your saving throws, indomitable, which lets you re-roll certain saving throws that would let something else control your mind, um, improved defense, which is a bonus to your armor class, and then superior critical, which is just a critical on a an 18 to 20 instead of a 19 to 20. Can I... um? Can I make one? I, want, I would like to make one statement about why I like this one so much. Do it. There is only one thing that you get that is a choice that you have to make in combat, mm-hmm. and that is sec- and that is second wind. And I think that is crucial to making these simple. Yes. Everything else is is a is uh, what's the what's the right word? Um, it's it's a it's, bonus. It's baked into the character already. Yes, yeah. but there, there's a, there's a uh, there's a term for it. It's it's a it's a passive it's a passive bonus. Okay, there you go. Yep, there you go. Not not anything active that you have to choose to use. Right. So, I think that's why this one is pretty fine. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, you know, for the most part, everything that is it gets is right on the character sheet. You don't have to make that choice. Yes. Um, and I understand what they're doing here. I think they do a pretty good job of it. You know, they're trying to give it abilities that help it be a good tanky support character. Uh-huh. Um, the extra ability scores. Um, ba- ba- you know, we're, we're used to with regular classes, every four levels, I think it is, getting mm-hmm. ability score. Uh, so the blanks that this character had are filled in with extra ability score improvements. Yes. Um, but that's okay because I think ca- many characters from the Monster Manual stat blocks have lower ability scores to start with than the character would. So giving them those extra things just gets them back up on par with the characters over time rather than making them more powerful than the characters. Yeah, I have to play through some of that stuff, like like leveling them up and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm, I, I'm not sure. I assume that it still has the same cap of, like, you can't push it over 20. It, so, yeah. like... All it, right. It doesn't say that. Oh, yes, it does. The sidekick cannot increase an ability score above 20 using this feature. 
Yeah. So therefore, are. that's never going to get too crazy, right? Yeah. Yep. So, you know, for the most part, this is very well designed to do what it's supposed to do, which is tank, um, do some damage, and uh, be, a, be an all-around good fighter. Mm-hmm. I, I like it. It's a good one, right? Yep. Like, I think it's pretty solid. So do you want right, to hit the expert? Yes. So the expert is a master of certain tasks or knowledge. This particular sidekick follows a path that favors cunning over brawn or spellcasting. They might be a scout, a musician, a librarian, a clever street kid, a wily merchant, or a burglar. Mm-hmm. Um, as the warrior, something is gained at every level, although it's often an ability score improvement. Some of the other things that the, this person gets, the expert, is bonus proficiencies, expertise, helpful, which we will talk about, because mm-hmm. holy lord. Um, cunning action, jack of many trades. We already mentioned the ability score improvements. Mm-hmm. Um, extra attack, evasion, which is always useful. Inspiring help, which we'll talk about that too. Mm-hmm. Uh, reliable talent, sharp mind, and stroke of luck. Mm-hmm. Um, Sean, I want to play this as a standard class. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, I want to play this thing. Yeah, it's very, very good. Um, perhaps maybe too good because helpful what helpful does is lets you uh use the help action as a bonus action rather than as a standard action mm-hmm. and so every round you can either give someone advantage or provide someone with disadvantage to be attacked as well as any skill checks or anything like that you can uh you know provide advantage with and I can and I can attack or do something else. Sure, and you can do something else, or you can use it twice. You could be helpful to many people. Yes, and it may not seem game breaking at first, and it may not be game breaking in every situation. But there are certain situations where having advantage all the time can be very powerful. Uh huh. Uh huh. And then you take uh-huh, uh-huh. the next level of it, which is inspiring help which is gained at ninth level where now, on, on the bright side, it's yeah. only it's bonus action to help. It actually states it right in the, right in the rules. So you can't do inspiring help twice in a round. Why? No. Yes, you can. No. Uh, when the sidekick uses its helpful bonus action, actually that's, that's the, that's the sentence. Okay. So hang on. Helpful. Oh, oh, so you're talking about uh, inspiring. Yes, inspiring. Okay, yep. Help. Okay. Yes. So, so I'm sorry. I thought you were saying that they couldn't use the help action twice in a round. Oh no, they can use the help they action can. twice in a round. They, they, can. Just, they just can't they get. Can't there's a bonus D6. Help. Yep. Yeah. Okay. There's a bonus D6 that you get when you use inspiring help at ninth level. Yeah. That um you can't. They 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 uh they can only use that extra D6 with the bonus action. Yes. Inspiring. Help. And that does make it more reasonable. But you're sort of. you're still yes you're still getting an extra D6 to a D20 roll. When 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 you help someone, and they can, if they so choose, on an attack roll, make that d six a bonus to damage rather than to the attack roll. Uh-huh. Uh huh. This is something that not only only bards can do, as far as I know, and only a certain flavor of bard can. Um, so that's a pretty, you know, that's a pretty iconic feature of a certain school of barddom. That yep. this character, you know, the sidekick character can use whenever. Um, yes. Because with with bards, you can only do it as many times as you can use inspiring, um, you know, your 
bardic inspiration. This you could do it every round. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a thing. It's um, it's a thing. Yep. So, I when I give my feedback uh, on the playtest article, I am definitely going to mention that. Now, uh, let us let us let us, let's make a few more statements. Uh, the bards that get that ability, they usually have a, a number of other things they can do with their dice that are more potent than this. So that's that's a thing to think about, right? I play a bard of this type, mm-hmm. and ninety percent of the time, that's what I'm using that die for. Oh, I'm, wow! I'm giving it to. The barbarian, the fighter, the rogue, someone who is going to potentially crit more, mm-hmm. because then that one d six turns into two d six. It's true. Um, that's that's very true. So you know, it's it's a thing to be aware of. That's all. Mm-hmm. I I agree with you. I was just I wanted to play devil's advocate for half a second. Yep. You know, oh no, to, it's, uh, I mean, and reasonable people can disagree. Uh, they'd be wrong, those reasonable people. But yeah, uh, I, I wasn't disagreeing. I was just pointing <laughs> out. I was pointing out where it might not be as as terrible as we are making it, but it's still not yeah. as it's still. I feel still think it's way too much. Right. But you know, overall, this is a good sidekick character when you need that person with certain sets of skills that your party might not have. So it makes yeah. perfect sense to to use this in that case. Yeah, on the bright side, um, it, it has a little bit more than than the uh, the warrior sidekick because it's got cunning action mm-hmm. and this helpful thing. That means there's a choice that it has to make with what it's going to do with its bonus action. True, and it can make it every round, and that is a little bit of latency, but not the worst thing ever. Right. Yeah. If if you play a rogue character, or if you've seen people play a rogue character, that that. Um... That cunning action we're talking about can be something that slows the game down a bit. I think is yeah, but is, not that much. It, it's never been yeah. That big of a it deal. depends on the player. You know, some players just remember it and know how they're going to use it and use it quickly, whereas some need to be reminded they have it and then hem and haw about what to do with it. So yeah, you know, it's just something to be aware of. Mm-hmm. I agree. And let's go then to the spellcaster. Yeah, why don't you walk us through this one? I will do just that. A sidekick who becomes a spellcaster walks the paths of magic. The sidekick might be a hedge wizard, a priest, a soothsayer, a spell-wielding performer, or a person with magic in their veins. So this is the pretty much what the name says. It's a person that casts spells. Um, they're always getting uh, new spells or spell slots every level, just like a regular spellcaster. Um but they don't get something outside of that at every level. So their spells are their main thing. Um, at level one, they'll get, they're going to know three cantrips and three spells and have two spell slots for those spells. They have to choose a spellcasting class, a full progression spellcasting class, I should say. So not the um, not, not a paladin, not a ranger. Um, mm-hmm. Whatever they choose will determine their spell lists and their associated spellcasting abilities. And they get the following... Bonuses, uh, bonus features as they as they level. They get magical recovery, um, which if you are familiar with spellcasters, you know when they take a short rest, they recover some spell slots. They get ability score improvement, uh, as usual. Uh, they get p- 
potent cantrips, which allows them to add their spellcasting ability modifier to damage done with cantrips. They get empowered spells, which allows them to choose a school of magic, and they can add their uh, same, basically the same thing. They're adding to their damage or healing rolls uh, their spellcasting ability modifier, whereas normally they wouldn't be able to do that. Um, they get focused casting, which means they have an advantage on constitution saving throws to maintain concentration on the spell. And then at 20th level, they get signature spells. Um, they can cast each of those signature spells without uh, a first, second, and third level without expending a slot. So, you know, pretty pretty standard along with some of the other spell casting things that we've seen in D&D. Mm -hmm. uh, the ability score thing is pretty pretty okay in this one because you know you're only you the first three are the first four are at your normal stuff mm -hmm. yep. right it's fourth eighth twelfth and sixteenth like we're, we're we're accustomed to that yep in fact this the, everything is fine with this except for the fact that there are spells yeah yeah it's funny how that works huh it, it's almost like spell casting is its own separate and distinct interesting feature slash problem in D D. Yes, it is. I mean, this this slot management, resource management part of this game is like the other kind of half of Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition. Mm -hmm. Like, there's the there's the game that we're all accustomed to, where you're rolling d20s and trying to get modifiers to hit target numbers and whatnot. Right. But then there's the other side of the game, which I think is the other big part of this game, which is managing your spells and your spell slots. Right. Since since spell casting is really breaking the rules of the game, right? That's what the spells yeah. do. They let you break the rules. And mm -hmm. whenever you in introduce a mechanic that lets you break the rules, that's where you can often have problems. So every spell is a little rules package. Yep. And when you have multiple of these little rules packages, there's just more comp complex gameplay that mm -hmm. occurs. That's all. Because then you're making these choices. Yep. So it is definitely the most cumbersome one. Um I don't think it's too terrible. Like, it, it definitely will make the game play longer, right? Right. Uh, on, on the bright side, like, there's only... You only get... Even even up to, like, ninth level, you only have four cantrips. That's not that many. Eventually, you'll memorize those spells if you're playing pretty pretty quick, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the thing that gets more complicated is the spells known. Right. Because what we've, what we've done, as we looked at the warrior, right, we said there's only really one choice they, they make in terms of their abilities, and that's great. Yes. And then when we went to expert, we're like, well, there's a few more choices, but it's not bad. Now we've just hit the exponential scale, right? Yeah, we this, went, is, this is like too many choices. We went from one to two to a thousand. Mm -hmm. And again, if you have players who know spells and don't need to look things up, and they're really you know quick and they they're decisive and and they just keep the game moving you won't have a problem at all if you have players that agonize over choices or aren't really up on the rules as much as other players are this can be a problem assuming you allow them to run the character um you know if you as the dm know all of this stuff and you run the character then that's a completely different ball game but yeah this needs a work over in the spells known, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I. this is where, the, to me, this is the, the fourth edition D&D &D monster design conundrum. Fourth edition monsters were so great because there was, you didn't have to go outside the stat block to to know what they can do and what they're good at. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they had two or three choices. 
even the even the complex ones had two or three choices. You make that choice, you go, everything's right there, and you move on. Um, and I would love to see a spell casting sidekick that was more like that. That was rather than you get to choose from these. You know, at tenth level, you have eleven different spell no, spells that you know, and five different cantrips. Eleven's uh, not a terrible number. It's what two per level because you're casting fifth level spells at that point. Yes, but it's still eleven spells that you need to know. I would love it if there was a way to scale it or sim- simplify it in some way, so you could just rather than I am selecting this specific spell for this specific thing. It's okay. I know damage spells, so I'm going to roll this many d6 per spell slot level and just go. Or you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know what you're saying, but that's so not D&D, right? It, it isn't, but it is. You know, it 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 it's not 5th edition D&D, but it it is a something that was in D and D that to me made the game smoother. Yeah, uh, so, I don't know how to handle this problem. Like, I, it's a problem. I think I don't because you're right. Like, it's two spells. So here's the argument for for it. Like, if you're starting out at, with a low level or low level sidekick, mm-hmm. then you're going to learn this stuff as they level up, right? Sure, sure. Just like you would but, if you were playing the character. Correct. But yeah. if you start off at a higher level or you pick up a sidekick, uh, I don't know what the rules are, really. I didn't catch it. Like, what if you're 6th level and you get a sidekick? Do they start at 1st? Do they start at 6th? What level are they? Yeah, they didn't. I mean, I assume that they would be 6th because it says we want the sidekicks to be the same level as you. That's why they level up, even if they're not at the adventure, basically. Mm-hmm. So if, if it's 10th level and I pick up a sidekick that's a caster, that's not simple. No. Like, that's a lot of information to absorb real quick. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's what, I, what I'm suggesting is not an easy design. That's why I'm not saying, hey, this is easy to fix. Here's, here's what you do. Yeah. Um, so I understand the need for this because, again, sometimes you're going to have parties with, you know, three fighters and three rogues. And you, you need that spellcaster, especially at higher level, to deal with some of the threats. Mm-hmm. But, you know. I just wish there was an easier way rather than having to memorize all these spells. Yeah. yeah, And and, um... and it, it sort of takes the mystery out of it to me as well, because if you do have that party of four wizards or, you know, four, uh, three fighters and three rogues and you're like, okay, we need the, the wizard or we need a cleric to do these 10, these eight things. Uh, it just becomes kind of a patch. You know, it's not really a, a living, breathing thing. It's just the dude that unlocks doors for us or the dude that dispels magic for us or the dude that counterspells for us rather than, you know, it becomes just another another chess move that is rote rather than something that's cool and, and, and storyful. Yeah, it's just, mm, I, like I said, this is the one that's hard, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I don't know what to do with it. They try to, like, they're trying to use their rule set in the best way possible to make this, this work. And, yeah, this could all fit on a um, on a stat block, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you just put your spell list in there. We've seen it a hundred times. It's not super complicated. Right. But it's still, because there's no extra abilities in a lot of ways. There's what? There's the arcane recovery? Like, mm-hmm. um, that's pretty pretty much it like 
for like magical recovery, I should say. Uh, everything else is just something that mostly gets added onto a um, onto the stat block, right? Like yeah. like a, m- improves a, an ability score or gives something um, gives some extra damage. So like maybe you put a little note next to it, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's not it's not like there's a the, the, the choices are all in the spells. So how do you handle the choices in the spells? Some part of me is like they shouldn't have gone with the they have that spells known and they have the spell slots. Mm-hmm. They should have done the thing where like they have spells, the spell slots, and then in parentheses put a number next to it, and that's the number of spells that you have of that level. Mm-hmm. So like at first level, like put a little two in parentheses next to it. I mean, I don't think that the sidekick spellcaster should have as much flexibility as your PC spellcaster. Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree. Yeah, and then if you want them to have flexibility, you can be like, look. If you want, you can change out these spells every time they level up if you want to. Mm-hmm. Like, but then then really all you're doing is like at f- you, you, you know two first level spells, right? Like, and then maybe you have um, every time you get to the point where you have three spells that you can cast from that spell slot, then you have two spells of that level that you can cast. Mm-hmm. And that makes it a little bit more manageable. Yeah. It doesn't get it doesn't get into the number of like. So if, if we did it that way. Um, at ninth level, you would have two, uh, four, six, eight. You'd still you'd still have nine spells, mm-hmm. um, but there'd only be there'd be two first, two second, two third, two fourth, and one fifth that you know. Right. I yeah. mean, it's still not that bad. Yeah. Uh, also, I don't think you need to ever have more than three cantrips. Right. Like why 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 push that number up into five? I don't I don't know if that's necessary. Sure. I'm with and you. that would still yeah that would still create a, a that would create a more manageable. Sidekick spellcaster. Yep. Yep. And and so, you know, we're we're pushing simplicity over power, basically. Yes. And absolutely. Just but that's just because that's you know, our experiences I think have led us to that conclusion. And I could see other people saying, No, I want the full you know, what's here because we need that flexibility and, and that's okay too. It's just that's that's where we're coming down on this based on our experiences. Yeah, it is. That has been my experience at the table. Is I always want the game to flow faster, yep. or at least move more fluidly. And spellcasting can sometimes get in the way of that, especially if it makes it complex. Mm-hmm. If there's too many choices and you don't know what you're going to do. Now, of course, somebody who knows how to play a spell. Now, well, here's the thing. What if you're playing two tenth level spellcasters? One's a cleric and one's a wizard. Mm-hmm. One of them's your sidekick. One of them's your 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 PC. Like right. that gets that gets out of hand, right? Yes. Yeah. Like I'm sure there are some people who can handle that, but I don't think that's the the typical thing at the table. Plus, it's still like, like you said, Sean. There, I think you said it earlier. Like some spellcasters, maybe it was before we started recording. Some spellcasters or some people playing spellcasters take a long time mm-hmm. to like figure out what spell they're going to cast. Yep. Heck, I remember one time I was running an AL game for an epic, and I had a wizard that had time stop mm-hmm. as a as an NPC, and I cast time stop. And then I cast three spells and I did it in like five, five or 10 minutes. And I'm like, I'm so sorry that took so long. And they're like, you were way faster than most people are. I'm yep. like, well, that's a problem. To yeah. Me. Yeah, exactly. So and, and th- that's the spellcasting conundrum. Yeah. And it's even more interesting when you think of it in terms of a lot of the streams that we're seeing, especially streams that are sponsored by or associated with wizards of the coast where uh, they, you know, things are more fluid and, and not as granular and more storytelling, um, you know, going in this direction makes it less. So I think, 
Yeah. It's, um, yeah. Now, I don't want to. I don't want to naysay people who want to play the other way, though. Like, if if you want to oh. have all those options and take your time to cast spells and play the more tactical game, sure. Um, and and how the magic works and whatnot. Uh, you can play the, like there's nothing wrong with that. No, I, I just this you, like you said, Sean. This is the kind of play that we tend to advocate for because we think it is, in our opinion, what what works better at the table. It's a better, it creates a better play experience for for more more people, more of the people, right? More of the more of the population that plays the game. Yep. All right, that's all I have to say. Yeah, I'm I'm good too. I think we covered it pretty well. All right, let us move on then. Uh, that's it, actually. Never mind. That's the article. I hope you all enjoyed it. Like, I think I think this is a cool idea. I hope they they do some touch up work. Um, that health mechanic is crazy. <laughs> and with that, I will. Uh, I'd like to help everybody get out of here by saying thank you for listening. Let's do some Patreon shoutouts. Uh, Eileen Barnes, the Duchess of Pandas Talking Games. Scott Robinson, the Duke of Dimensional Paradox. Andy Olson, the Duke of Dice. Brian Kurtz, the Royal Doctor of Physic. Christopher Gray, the Spymaster of MMP. Craig, just Craig, the Lord of One Name. Donnie Harville, the Lord of the Slack Room. Eric Bontz, the Duke of Gator and the Lord of Beefness. John C. LeMay, who is not the court necromancer. That's uh, John Carney. He is the guard at the end of the world. Kevin Lovecraft, the Royal Beard. Merrick Blackman, the Royal D&D Reviewer. Mike Dinos, the Inquisitor of Mark. Polydian, the Duke of Darkest Sons, P.K. Sullivan, the Queen's Royal Rocketeer, Robert Brizado, the Gauntlet of the Queen, and Robert Dorgan, the Dragon Lord of Down with D&D. Our very, we have our very own Dragon Lord. It's Did very, you know that? It's nice to have oh, one. Yeah, I actually have some more. I didn't realize they're on the next page. Uh, GM Gerrymander, the Lord of the After Show, Jesse Edmund, the Royal Doctor, Schmitty, the Keeper of the Labyrinth, and Sean Gilgore, the Knight of All Edges. And speaking of patrons, because by the way, those are all patrons that were part of our royal court. They uh, they give us $10 a month for that and a number of other things. Um, if you'd like to be a patron of Down with D&D, you can click on the link to our Patreon page on the website. And for $2 a month, you can get yourself a shout-out. Uh, there's also maps coming. I actually just finished drawing a whole bunch of them for something that I've been working on. And I'll be giving them out to the, the folks on Patreon. They're in that very Dyson-ish style of map making, but I'm starting to get my own style in there, too. Uh, Sean, what about Excellent. what, what do you got to say? Uh, for four dollars a month, you not only get a shout out, but you also get to see our pre-production show notes, and you get access to our Slack room for life, where you can talk to us about whatever's going on in your gaming or just life. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you can't help us monetarily, but you want to give us a boost, you can do so with an Apple Podcast review. Those help, even if you're not listening via Apple Podcasts, since many other podcatchers use Apple Podcasts as their way to rate and rank shows, and that would help make us more visible. Sean, where do people find you on the, you know, series of tubes in the sky? I am often found in that series of tubes on Twitter at Sean Merwin or on the Down with D&D G plus community where we take your questions or comments and talk about them sometimes on the show like we did with Jared. You can yeah, also until it what's that until it dies. Yeah, until it dies. But we're going to hang in there for a while. Yeah. Uh, you can also find me as the mad wizard on uh, Twitter at Menagerie Wizard. Mm-hmm. How about you, Chris? So the show and network Twitter these days. I mean, there's a down with D Twitter, but we don't use it anymore. It's just misdirected Mark at misdirected Mark. If you hashtag it D and D, we'll respond in some sort of D and D ish way, and I will make sure that Sean hears or sees about it. Yes. Also, just go to at Menagerie Wizard. Like the Mad Wizard will then talk to you too, which is can be potentially terrifying. Yeah, it right? can be. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you can also just go to Twi- you can also just go to the website where you can catch other great shows such as this one, the Gnomecast. Several gnomes from Gnome Stew get together to talk about gaming topics and themselves in an effort to entertain you and avoid being thrown in the stew. 
Down with D&D is a misdirected Mark production, the media arm of Encoded Designs. So what are we going to do now, Sean? We're going to go kill some 2019 monsters. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? This whole party. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know me.